This first presidential debate bonus episode is brought to you by our loyal Patreon and PayPal supporters. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. All right, welcome to the show. This very special first presidential debate bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dalamore. I am your host, like I am with every other episode, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me, just eager to get this show on the road, my lovely and talented co-host, Brittany Page. Well, I'm sure everyone has already heard how things went tonight. (laughs) So you don't think we need to go into any detail about the outcome? No, of course we need to go into detail about the outcome. And of course the debate episode is going to provide you with beautiful little nuggets from the night. But I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that there's like a unified chorus. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Of the the end result of this debate. Well, especially with the the lion share of our audience, that would be the case. Yeah. It, it is interesting to me, and I guess we'll just jump right in. Um <laughs> let's do what we normally do, which is kind of takeaways. And then, really, there's no need to go into winners and losers because Hillary Clinton fucking dominated Donald Trump. Yeah. There's no contest. There's just no... Watching the Kaylee McInerney or whatever the hell her name is, watching the Trump surrogates flounder and scramble to try to defend him as though he won this debate was... Almost a sad thing, because normally these people are very skilled, very adroit at uh, spinning his performance. And it was even watching Kellyanne Conway, his new campaign manager, watching her in Spin Alley, which is the the corral for reporters at the end of this thing, like backstage where they they talk, even watching her. She looked just fucking bummed out. Yeah, tired, exhausted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over it. Yeah. And anyone who is saying that Donald Trump won this debate is being intellectually dishonest with themselves and whoever they're saying that to. Absolutely. Because there's no way that someone legitimately believes that. I mean, it was almost embarrassing watching this petulant child up there. Um, he couldn't talk about the issues. He wouldn't talk about the future. He wouldn't talk about his plans. What he spent most of his time talking about was what Hillary Clinton has done in the past. Yeah. Um, what she's believed in the past and protecting his own image in the present moment. That is pretty much the focus of everything he said. Well, and the odd thing about it is is it wouldn't have been so difficult uh, i said that quickly it would not have been <laughs> so difficult to meet her head on and face her down because she didn't really talk about a lot of substance she was just very skillful in the way she either goaded him 
to get under his skin or or just generally hitting her points. Right. She wasn't like super policy wonk. She just it was a solid performance and he was it's like he went into this thinking it was going to be the other idiots that he's faced in the past where he can just call him little Marco and Lion Ted and well you're not much to look at either there Paul Ryan. You know, he, he it didn't work this time. Right. And he he let her definitely get under his skin. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was very, very weird. Well, the other thing was weird is this goddamn sniffling. He's like a cokehead sniffling all the time, like he just done a bunch of lines backstage. He also drank a lot of water. Oh yeah, as much as he makes fun of Marco Rubio for the hydration, he was <laughs> he had that lips that that glass to his lips constantly during the ninety minutes. You know, another thing that was really notable about Donald Trump's performance is his lack of general awareness of. I guess who he is as a person and what he inflicts on other people because he kept talking about how Hillary Clinton isn't nice to him and she's not very respectful of him, not very nice to him. Right, right. And he doesn't deserve it, he said several times. And I guess I'm just wondering what he thinks of himself and his own behavior toward other people. Does he think that he's nice to people? Does he think that he's respectful to people? I mean, I'm confused. I just think he thinks he's special. And those rules don't apply because he's Donald Trump, after all, you know. Well, let's start here. Let's start off with some of these clips. Uh, we're going to start first with Lester Holt talking to Donald Trump about how he intends on following through on his guarantee to bring back 25 million jobs to the United States. Let me follow up with Mr. Trump, if I can. You've talked about creating 25 million jobs, and you've promised to bring, bring back millions of, uh, of jobs for Americans. How are we going to bring back the industries that have left this country for cheaper labor overseas? How specifically are you going to tell American manufacturers that you have to come back? Well, for one thing, uh, and before we start on that, my father uh, gave me a very small loan in 1975, and I built it into a company that's worth many, many billions of dollars. With- Let's stop it right there. His father gave him a very small loan in 1975 of $1,000,000, which if you look at the inflation calendars or, or calculators, typically that, that they say that that equals about $6,000,000. bucks. So his father gave him a very small loan of $6,000,000 effectively, and he turned it into what he turned it into, which had he just invested that $6.5 million dollars, by some accounts, he would have more than he has today. Let's let him continue. Some of the greatest assets in the world. And I say that only because that's the kind of thinking that our country needs. Our country's in deep trouble. We don't know what we're doing when it comes to devaluations and all of these countries all over the world, especially China. They're the. I'm going to stop it again. And this is not going to be the way it works. But I want to remind the audience, Brittany, that... Uh, the question was, how do you plan on bringing back 25 million jobs to the United States? And so far, all we've got was a recap of how he made his money. Yeah, well, good luck getting a straight answer out of anyone at this point. Absolutely. 
the best, the best ever at it. What they're doing to us is a very, very sad thing. So we have to do that. We have to renegotiate our trade deals. And Lester, they're taking our jobs, they're giving incentives, they're doing things that, frankly, we don't do. Uh, let me give you the example of Mexico. They have a VAT tax. We're in a different system. When we sell into Mexico, there's a tax. When they sell in automatic, 16% approximately. When they sell into us, there's no tax. It's a defective agreement. It's been defective for a long time, many years, but the politicians haven't done anything about it. Now, in all fairness to uh, Secretary Clinton, yes, is that okay? Good. I want you to be very happy. It's very important to me. But in all fairness to Secretary do you, do you, well, first, that's a dick move. Yeah, very... Secretary, is that okay that I call you secretary? I don't know why I'm talking like Woody Allen, but... It was condescending. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely. Mm-hmm. Is, is that okay, little sweetie pie? Right. If I call you Secretary Clinton? Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Donald Trump. Yes, that's probably what she you're, said in her head. She's, you're speaking <laughs> to the former Secretary of State of the United States of America. The same job that Thomas Jefferson had. So fuck you. With your your condescending bullshit. Quote, unquote, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Clinton, when she started talking about this, it was really very recently. She's been doing this for 30 years. And why hasn't she made the agreements better? The NAFTA agreement is defective just because of the tax and many other reasons, but just because of the fact. Let me interrupt just a moment. Secretary Clinton Unsuccessful and other politicians should have been doing this for years. Not right now because of the fact that we've created a movement. They should have been doing this for years. What's happened to our jobs and our country and our economy generally is, look, we owe $20 trillion. We cannot do it any longer, Lester. Back to the question, though. How do you bring back, specifically bring back jobs? American manufacturers, how do you make them bring the jobs back? Well, the first thing you do is don't let the jobs leave. The companies are leaving. I could name, I mean, there are thousands of them. They're leaving, and they're leaving in bigger numbers than ever. And what you do is you say, fine, you want to go to Mexico or some other country? Good luck. We wish you a lot of luck. But if you think you're going to make your air conditioners or your cars or your cookies or whatever you make and bring them into our country without a tax, you're wrong. And once you say you're going to have to tax them coming in, and our politicians never do this, because they have special interests, and the special interests want those companies to leave, because in many cases they own the companies. So what I'm saying is we can stop them from leaving. We have to stop them from leaving, and that's a big, big factor. Let me let Secretary Clinton get yeah, let me uh, let me talk to an adult here who can speak in complete sentences and maybe give me a cogent answer, Secretary Clinton. Let me let Secretary Clinton. Get well, there. let's stop for a second and remember where we were eight years ago. We had the worst financial crisis, the Great Recession, the worst since the 1930s. That was in large part because of tax policies that slashed taxes on the wealthy, failed to invest in the middle class took their eyes off of Wall Street, and created a perfect storm. In fact, Donald was one of the people who rooted for the housing crisis. He said back in 2006, gee, I I hope it does collapse because then I can go in and buy some and make some money. Well, it did collapse. That's called business, by the way. Nine million people, nine million people lost their jobs. It's called business. Well, that's something he does a lot which only makes him look small. 
that he's trying to, huh, I'm a little kid. I got to get I gotta get my little jab in there where I can. I got to say something. Rather than just let her say what she's going to say and then take your time to rebut what she says, he he's acting petulant. He's acting impatient. He's acting childish. He also, he also doesn't care about looking like a dick. <laughs> that's something that... We've known Donald Trump for many years, Brittany. We know that to be the case. That's something that a dick would say. That's something that a dick would believe. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, I do. Five million people lost their homes and $13 trillion in family wealth was wiped out. Now, we have come back from that abyss and it has not been easy. So we're now on the precipice of having a potentially much better economy. But the last thing we need to do is to go back to the policies that failed us in the first place. Independent experts have looked at what I've proposed and looked at what Donald's proposed, and basically they've said this, that if his tax plan, which would blow up the debt by over $5 trillion and would, in some instances, disadvantage middle-class families compared to the wealthy, were to go into effect, we would lose 3.5 million jobs and maybe have another recession. They've looked at my plans and they've said, okay, if we can do this, and I intend to get it done, we will have 10 million more new jobs because we will be making investments where we can grow the economy. Take clean energy. Some country is going to be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Donald thinks that climate change is a hoax perpetrated by the Chinese. I think it's real. Uh, I did I not. Science I, did not. Is real. I do not say that. And I think. We're let's stop it right here and let's uh, let's do a little fact check. What do you say, Brittany Page? That sounds great. He tweeted in 2012, November 6th, 2012, the concept of global warming was created by and for the Chinese in order to make U.S. manufacturing non-competitive. Donald Trump, the at real Donald Trump. Well, during the debate, it seems as though his team was frantically deleting tweets while this shit was going on because you try to take a screenshot of that, or you, you could take a screenshot, but if you tried to retweet that tweet, the message from Twitter says, tweet not found, tweet is no longer available and cannot be retweeted. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to see this, go to the Facebook page, go to our Twitter account, you'll see the evidence of it. He he's a liar. Shocking. She is telling absolute facts, giving truth, and oh, I didn't I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. I, think it's I do important not say that. that we grip this and deal with it both at home and abroad. And here's what we can do. We can deploy a half a billion more solar panels. We can have enough clean energy to power every home. We can build a new modern electric grid. That's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of new economic activity. So I've tried to be very specific about what we can and should do, and I am determined that we're going to get the economy really moving again, building on the progress we've made over the last eight years, but never going back to what got us in trouble in the first place. So is that the best answer? Eh, I think it's arguable. I don't think it is. I think just relying on the green energy sector to 
to create this robust uh, revolution in our economy, I think that's a little bit short-sighted. We need to diversify a little bit, not just count on goddamn solar panels or a clean grid or whatever the hell she's talking about with our electricity grid. Sounds like a better answer than the concept of global warming being created by and for the Chinese. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is you don't have the bar doesn't it's not real high. She doesn't have to really perform to outwit this clown. Yeah, but people think the bar is high, though, (laughs) and this is what is terrifying. Yes. And this was so clear tonight, and that's why I'm saying anyone who thinks that Donald Trump won this tonight is being intellectually dishonest, and they are so motivated by their hatred of Hillary Clinton. Or they're just dumb. That they cannot see the truth. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate, because he was a bumbling turd sandwich up there oh it was unbelievable i mean seriously the only way it could have been worse is this if he had laid on his back on the stage opened his mouth and let hillary clinton squat and take a big dumper right in his mouth i mean i was wondering what was coming and (laughs) i just didn't expect that but just a grunter just grunting one out right into his stupid face i guess i said turd sandwich and that just (laughs) Your imagination went wild, I see. Well, up next, they're talking about Hillary Clinton's tax plan. And in the middle here, Donald Trump rebuts and he kind of tries to pivot toward ISIS. There's this theme that ran through. You could tell the things that they did prepare about during his his debate prep. And for sure, they tried to drill into his head to keep talking about how She's had 30 years to get things done, and nothing's better. You've had 30 years. You've been in government for 30 years, and blah, blah. He keeps bringing up that theme. It never really lands, partly because she's skillful and doesn't really let it land. But listen to his pivot to ISIS after she talks about her tax plan. So we have a very robust set of plans and people who have looked at both of our plans have concluded that mine would create 10 million jobs and yours would lose us three and a half million jobs and explode you are the going debt, to approve one of the biggest tax cuts in history you are going to approve one of the biggest tax increases in history you are going to drive business out your regulations are a disaster and you're going to increase regulations all over the place and by the way My tax cut is the biggest since Ronald Reagan. I'm very proud of it. It will create tremendous numbers of new jobs. But regulations, you are going to regulate these businesses out of existence. When I go around, Lester, I tell you this, I've been all over. And when I go around, despite the tax cut, the thing, the things that business as and people like the most is the fact that I'm cutting regulation. You have regulations on top of regulations and new companies cannot form and old companies are going out of business and you want to increase the regulations and make them even worse. I'm going to cut regulations, but I'm going to cut taxes big league and you're going to raise taxes big league. End of story. Let me get you to pause right there because we're going to yes, move into well, the, we're going to move into the next segment. That, we're that, talk that, can't, that can't be left Please to just stand. Take, take 30 you know, seconds. I, I kind on. of assumed that there would be a lot of these charges and claims. And so Facts. we have taken uh, the homepage of my website, HillaryClinton.com, and we've turned it into a fact checker. So if you want to see in real time 
uh, what the facts are, please go and take a look. Because and take I a look at mine also, and you'll see. Add a penny to the debt. <laughs> and oh, and oh, and while you're at it, go go to mine too. I have I have, I have a website too. You you should go 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 to my go to my website, not just hers. Go to mine too. Yeah, well, my dad can beat up your dad. <laughs> Oh, my God. What a fucking idiot. And your plans would add $5 trillion to the debt. What I have proposed would cut regulations and streamline them for small businesses. What I have proposed would be paid for by raising taxes on the wealthy because they have made all the gains in the economy. And I think it's time that the wealthy and corporations paid their fair share to support this. Well, country. you just opened the next segment. Well, look, could I just finish? Actually, I, I think I, to, I, think did, I should. You, I'm going to you give go you a to her website right here, and you take a look at her website. She's going to raise taxes one point three trillion dollars. Mr. Trump, I'm and gonna, look at her website. You know what? It's no different than this. She's telling us how to fight ISIS. Just go to her website. She tells you how to fight ISIS on her website. I don't think General Douglas MacArthur would like that right, too the much. Next, the next. The next segment, we're continuing well, the subject of... at least I have a plan to fight ISIS. Prosperity. No, no, you're telling the enemy everything you want to do. No, we're not. See, you're telling the <laughs> no, enemy everything not. you yeah. want to do. We're no wonder you've fighting. been fighting... No wonder you've been fighting ISIS Folks. your entire adult life. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't think the math works there very well. Wait a minute. Hillary Clinton, <laughs> unless she's like six years old... <laughs> Yeah. She's 70 years old. Well, he said her entire adult life. So let's say she became an adult even at 20. He's asserting that ISIS has been around for 50 years, Brittany Page. <laughs> she, and she's been fighting them. That she She's a failure if that's the case. That's terrible. <laughs> but that again, was like the mission that she was born yeah, to fight. Look at this. He's, you could tell that was just browbeat into him. You need to bring her back. She's been trying to do this her whole, uh, uh, uh. and then it's so ingrained in him that he's, he's, he says it at the wrong time. Yeah, he's firing off prematurely. I would like to know. He's ejaculating prematurely, Brittany. Okay. I would like to know that this is a situation where Lester Holt did a, a terrible job moderating. Yeah. He, he got a little better toward the end, but during the beginning, he was a little sleepy time. And listen, I, I'm not going to go super hard on Lester Holt because I can't even imagine being a moderator for this I'll go debate. hard on him. Yeah. He's a sexy beast. <laughs> I can't even... <laughs> seriously, I cannot imagine trying to do that job. I would just, not be able to do that just job. Just knowing that they estimated 100 million people watch this debate. Yeah. God so damn. Just I, talk about the pressure. I can't imagine the pressure. I can't imagine having to deal with those two people up on the stage. It's a living hell. Being an arm's reach away from Donald Trump. Right. But... Just smelling that cologne all over the place. I would have liked to see a little more strong arming yeah. when Donald Trump, you know, does the, excuse me, I'm going to talk thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's inappropriate. I think that Donald Trump was disrespectful a couple of times during this debate. You know who'll be good at that? Chris Wallace. Yeah. He, he doesn't mind being a dick and shutting people up. That is a fact. I hope... That Anderson Cooper does a good... Well, we're getting a little far afield here, but my hope is that Anderson will do a good job. All right. Up next, Donald Trump, tax returns, the issue that everybody's waiting to hear, and he answers very definitively, surprisingly. 
No, no, he doesn't. He rambles on. Mr. Trump, we're talking about the burden that Americans have to pay, yet you have not released your tax returns. And and the reason nominees have have released their returns for decades is that voters will know if their potential president owes money to, who he owes it to, and any business conflicts. Uh, Don't Americans have a right to know if there are any conflicts of interest? I don't mind releasing. I'm under a routine audit, and it'll be released. And as soon as the audit's finished, it'll be released. But you will learn more about Donald Trump by going down to the federal elections where I filed a 104-page, essentially financial statement of sorts, the forms that they have. Essentially. It shows income. In fact, the income, I just looked today, the income is filed at $694 million for this past year. $694 million. If you would have told me I was going to make that 15 or 20 years ago, I would have been very surprised. But that's the kind of thinking that our country needs. When we have a country that's doing so badly, that's being ripped off by every single country in the world, it's the kind of thinking that our country needs because everybody, Lester, we have a trade deficit with all of the countries that we do business with, of almost $800 billion a year. You know what that is? That means who's negotiating these trade deals? We have people... Wait, wait a minute. Wait, how did we get here? I thought he was talking about his tax returns yeah, and why he hasn't released his, his tax returns. And now he's talking about negotiating trade deals. You know, now I really can't blame Lester Holt because I have stopped listening like 10 minutes ago. That's quite the circuitous route. That are political hacks negotiating our trade deal. The IRS says an audit of your taxes, uh, you're perfectly free to release uh, your taxes during an audit. And so the question, does the public's right to know outweigh your personal... Well, I told you, I will release them as soon as the audit. Look, I've been under audit almost for 15 years. I know a lot of wealthy people that have never been audited. I said, do you get audited? I get audited almost every year. And in a way, I should be complaining. I'm not even complaining. I don't mind it. It's almost because... Blah, 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 blah. Rambling on and on and on. Well, Hillary Clinton, she gives a very... I don't know about detailed, but she gives a very understandable and serious explanation as to why we need to see Donald Trump's tax returns. Well, I think you've just seen another example of bait and switch here. Um, (laughs) For 40 years, everyone running for president has released their tax returns. You can go and see nearly, I think, 39, 40 years of our tax returns, but everyone has done it. We know the IRS has made clear there is no prohibition on releasing it when you're under audit. So you've got to ask yourself, why won't he release his tax returns? And I think there may be a couple of reasons. First, maybe he's not as rich as he says he is. Second, maybe he's not as charitable. This is where she starts. Mm -hmm. This is where, I mean, she's had a couple of barbs in there early on, but this is where he starts kind of falling apart because she's hitting him right where it hurts for Donald Trump. I'm surprised he didn't respond immediately when she said maybe he doesn't have enough money right. as he claims he does. Right. That he wasn't like, oh, I, I sure do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I have more than you. <laughs> right. As he claims to be. Third, we don't know all of his business dealings, but we have been told through investigative reporting that. He owes about $650 million to Wall Street and foreign banks. 
Or maybe he doesn't want the American people, all of you watching tonight, to know that he's paid nothing in federal taxes because the only years that anybody's ever seen were a couple of years when he had to turn them over to state authorities when he was trying to get a casino license, and they showed he didn't pay any federal income tax. So that makes if me he's smart. paid zero, that means zero for troops, zero for vets, zero for schools or health. And I think probably he's not uh, all that enthusiastic about having the rest of our country see uh, what the real reasons are, because it must be something really important, even terrible, that he's trying to hide. And the financial disclosure statement, they don't give you the tax rate. They don't give you all the details that tax returns would. And it just seems to me that this is something that the American people deserve to see. And I have no reason to believe that uh, he's ever going to release his tax returns because there's something he's hiding. And we'll guess. We'll keep guessing at what it might be that he's hiding. Uh, but I think the question is, were he ever to get near the White House, what would be those conflicts? Who does he owe money to? Well, he owes you the answers to that, and he should provide them. Awesome. Super strategic and beautiful what she just did there. Uh, unbelievably artful because his face the entire time is contorting and he is he is frustrated and it's bothering him and it's getting under his skin and that irritation is starting to accumulate. You know, it's almost suspicious that he remained silent throughout <laughs> all this yeah. because it, it's almost as though he was so caught off guard thinking. Yeah. Oh shit! Everything she's saying is true. He didn't do any himself any favors at all. By what not am I gonna anything. say? Because usually I would be interrupting, but oh, what's going on here? She has the dirt on me, right? I mean, it's a little suspicious. Well, he starts bringing up the emails, and then Lester Holt, you know, he's like, "Hey, well, he brought up the emails. You know, what? What about that?" She talks about it, and then it comes right back to his taxes. He also he also raised the issue of your emails. Do you want to respond to that? I do. You know. I made a mistake using a private email. That's for sure. Um, and if I had to do it over again, I would obviously do it differently. Um, but I'm not going to make any excuses. It was a mistake. And I take responsibility for that. Mr. Trump. Now, get ready for the most coherent answer of the entire night from Donald Trump. Because in large measure... I agree with what he's getting ready to say. That was more than a mistake. That was done purposely. Okay, that was not a mistake. That was done purposely. When you have your staff taking the Fifth Amendment, taking the Fifth so they're not prosecuted. When you have the man that set up the illegal server taking the Fifth, I think it's disgraceful. And believe me, this country thinks it's disgraceful. It really thinks it's disgraceful also. As far as my tax returns, you don't learn that much from tax returns. That I can tell you. <laughs> you learn a lot from financial disclosure. And you should go down and take a look at that. The other thing, I'm extremely underleveraged. Uh, the report that said 650, which, by the way, a lot of friends of mine that know my business said, boy, that's really not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money relative to Roy Head. The buildings that were in question, they said in the same report, which was actually wasn't even a bad story, to be honest with you, but the buildings are worth $3.9 billion. 
And the 650 isn't even on that. But it's not 650. It's much less than that. But I could give you a list of banks. I would, if that would help you, I would give you a list of banks. These are very fine institutions, very fine banks. I could do that very quickly. I am very underleveraged. I have a great company. I have a tremendous income. And the reason I say that is not in a braggadocious way. It's because <laughs> it's about time that this country had somebody running it that has an idea about money. When we have $20 trillion in debt and our country's a mess, you know, it's one thing to have $20 trillion in debt and our roads are good and our bridges are good and everything's in great shape. Our airports, our airports are like from a third world country. You land at LaGuardia, you land at Kennedy, you land at LAX, you land at Newark. And you come in from Dubai and Qatar and you see these incredible, you come in from China, you see these incredible airports and you land, we become a third world country. So <laughs> the worst of all things has happened. We owe $20 trillion and we're a mess. We haven't even started. And we've spent $6 trillion in the Middle East, according to. So we're a mess. He can say that. No one bats an eye. Colin Kaepernick says. Yeah, I think it's high time cops start killing unarmed black, stop killing unarmed black men and people fucking lose their minds. He said we're becoming a third or we have become a third world country. And he may have been trying to just focus on the airports, but (laughs) come on now. I mean, that's right. And then he names totalitarian states that treats their people like shit while spending hundreds of millions and billions of dollars on vanity projects like airports and how gold-plated they are come on it's embarrassing a report that i just saw whether it's six or five but it looks like it's six six trillion dollars in the middle east we could have rebuilt our country twice and it's really a shame and it's politicians like secretary clinton that have caused this problem. Our country has tremendous problems. We're a debtor nation. We're a serious debtor nation. And we have a country that needs new roads, new tunnels, new bridges, new airports, new schools, new hospitals. And we don't have the money because it's been squandered on so many of your ideas. And maybe because you haven't paid any federal income tax for a lot of years. And the other thing I think is important. It would be squandered too, believe me. Notice he doesn't deny having not paid income tax. Right. He acts like, oh, that's just because I'm smart. He also mocks. Yeah, he's mocking people who do. It it is unbelievable. Yeah. He wants to be the leader of the free world. He wants to be president of the United States, and he abdicates his responsibility to pay taxes. He also says it's a smart thing to do to evade taxes. (laughs) Well, Hillary Clinton doesn't let go. She brings it back to his business, how he talks about his business acumen all the time, and she hits him right where it hurts for Donald Trump. Important. It would be squandered too, believe me. If your if your main claim to be president of the United States is your business, then I think we should talk about that. You know, your campaign manager said that you built a lot of businesses on the backs of little guys. And indeed, I have met a lot of the people who were stiffed by you and your businesses, Donald. I've met dishwashers, painters, architects, glass installers, marble installers, drapery installers, like my dad was, who you refused to pay when they finished the work that you asked them to do. We have an architect in the audience who designed one of your clubhouses at one of your golf courses. 
It's a beautiful facility. It immediately was put to use, and you wouldn't pay what the man needed to be paid, what he was charging. Maybe he didn't do a good job, and I was unsatisfied with his work, which our country should do, too. Thousands of people that you have stiffed over the course of your business not deserve some kind of apology. So he thinks that that this is the way business should go. Right. You you come to an agreement with a contractor. Right. You're going to do this work for me. And if you're not satisfied with you just don't pay the guy at all. This is actually a famous case that they're talking about here. And the guy ended up taking a, a, ridic- a ridiculously low amount of money. He ended up losing money on the deal, but he wanted to get anything he could because he didn't have the, the resources to legally take Donald Trump to court. If it's David and Goliath, you got to kind of just trust and be have good faith that they're going to do the right thing. And Donald Trump is notorious for not paying his fucking bills. Well, how would this go over at one of his businesses, one of his hotels? Right? You didn't pay your bill. Someone stays there. They're unhappy with it. Well, they don't want to pay. Right. Is that the way he wants to run his businesses? Or does he just want to treat people that he's paying like that? That'd be the way to do it. You go stay in a Trump hotel and then just dispute the charge on your on your for your credit card. And I don't know how that works if he gets stiffed, but maybe we should start a movement, Brittany. Mm. From someone who has taken their labor, taken the goods that they produced and then refused to pay them. I can only say that I'm certainly relieved that my late father never did business with you. Uh, he provided a good middle class life for us, but the people he worked for, he expected the bargain to be kept on both sides. And when we talk about your business, you've taken business bankruptcy six times. There are a lot of great business people that have never taken bankruptcy once. You call yourself the king of debt. You talk about leverage. You even at one time suggested that you would try to negotiate down the national debt of the United States. Well, sometimes there's not a direct transfer of skills from business to government. But sometimes what happened in business would be really bad for government. And we need to be very clear about that. I I, I do think it's time. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Again, he's lying, claiming that he did not talk about negotiating with our creditors, people who own bonds and T-bills and all this debt of the United States, that we'll negotiate with him. We'll pay lower than what the, the debt's actually worth. Well, that's what you do in bankruptcy. So effectively, he's talking about filing bankruptcy in the United States. Right. That would be... Well, catastrophic. On a global scale, that would be economically catastrophic. And he denies that he did it. But it was only a few months ago that the New York Times reported in an interview he did talk about negotiating with our with our debtors, with our creditors. So he's a liar. Again, on national TV, he lies to the American people. Well, up next. It's going to race relations. I think everybody expected this to be a topic, and it went really long. And again, he talks about stop and frisk as though it's the greatest thing, completely ignoring the fact that it has been ruled 
unconstitutional by a federal court. Here's how the exchange went down. Well, we're well behind schedule, so I want to move to our next segment. Uh, We move into our next segment talking about America's direction, and let's start by talking about race. The share of Americans who say race relations are bad in this country is the highest it's been in decades, much of it amplified by shootings of African-Americans by police, as we've seen recently in Charlotte and Tulsa. Race has been a big issue in this campaign, and one of you is going to have to bridge a very wide and bitter gap. So how do you heal the divide? Secretary Clinton, you get two minutes on this. Well, you're right. Race remains a significant challenge in our country. Unfortunately, race still determines too much, often determines where people live, determines what kind of education in their public schools they can get, and yes, it determines how they're treated in the criminal justice system. We've just seen those two tragic examples in both Tulsa and Charlotte. And we've got to do several things at the same time. We have to restore trust between communities and the police. We have to work to make sure that our police are using the best training, the best techniques, that they're well prepared to use force only when necessary. Everyone should be respected by the law and everyone should respect the law. Right now, that's not the case in a lot of our neighborhoods. So I have, ever since the first day of my campaign, called for criminal justice reform. I've laid out a platform that I think would begin to remedy some of the problems we have in the criminal justice system. But we also have to recognize, in addition to the challenges that we face with policing, there are so many good, brave police officers who equally want reform. So we have to bring communities together in order to begin working on that as a mutual goal. And we've got to get guns out of the hands of people who should not have them. The gun epidemic is the leading cause of death of young African-American men, more than the next nine causes put together. So we have to do two things, as I said. We have to restore trust. We have to work with the police. We have to make sure they respect the communities and the communities respect them. And we have to tackle the plague of gun violence, which is a big contributor to a lot of the problems that we're seeing today. All right, Mr. Trump, you have two. And then Trump gets two minutes. But before Trump starts, that was a substantive answer. She's talking about details. She didn't necessarily go into enough detail as far as I'm concerned. She could have talked about how President Obama has already started some criminal justice reform efforts. And there is a pretty bipartisan, widespread support movement in the Congress, in the House and the Senate, that there are members who are Congress or who are Republican right now who would say, if we put this to a vote right now, we could pass criminal justice reform. So she's on the right track. And for the next couple minutes, maybe I won't give in that long, but for the next couple minutes, Donald Trump completely avoids what could be a golden opportunity for him because he doesn't understand fundamentally the issues that face our country and the solutions by which we can solve them. He's he's way, way out of touch. He's wanting to use 1940s and 1950s tactics 
in the 21st century. Hence, stop and frisk. Minutes. How do you heal the divide? Well, first of all, Secretary Clinton doesn't want to use a couple of words, and that's law and order. And we need law and order. If we don't have it, we're not going to have a country. And when I look at what's going on in Charlotte, a city I love, a city where I have investments, when I look at what's going on throughout various parts of our country, whether it's, I mean, I can just keep naming them all day long. We need law and order in our country. And I just got today uh, the, as you know, the endorsement of the Fraternal Order of Police. We just uh, just came in. Uh, we have endorsements from, I think, almost every police group. Very, I mean, a large percentage of them in the United States. Uh, we have a situation where we have uh, our inner cities, African-Americans, Hispanics, are living in hell because it's so dangerous. You walk down the street, you get shot. In Chicago, they've had thousands of shootings, thousands, since January 1st. Thousands of shootings. And I'm saying, where is this? Is this a war-torn country? What are we doing? And we have to stop the violence. We have to bring back law and order in a place like Chicago where... I just want to stop it for a second and point out he has not said anything yet. He hasn't talked about race relations. He hasn't talked about enacting, uh, creating any kind of solution yet. All he has said is law and order. That's not a policy. That's a slogan. Thousands of people have been killed. Thousands over the last number of years. In fact, almost 4,000 have been killed since Barack Obama became president. Over four, almost 4,000 people in Chicago have been killed. We have to bring back law and order. Now, whether or not in a place like Chicago you do stop and frisk, which worked very well. Mayor Giuliani is here. It worked very well in New York. It brought the crime rate way down. But you take the gun away from criminals that shouldn't be having it. We have gangs roaming the street. And in many cases, they're illegally here, illegal immigrants. And they have guns. And they shoot people. And we have to be very strong and we have to be very vigilant. We have to be we have to know what we're doing right now. Our police, in many cases, are afraid to do anything. We have to protect our inner cities because African-American communities are being decimated your, by crime. Your two decimated. minutes, your two minutes expired. But I do want to follow up. Stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional in New York because it, it largely singled out black and Hispanic young men. No, it, you're wrong. Uh, it went before a judge who was a very against police judge. Uh, it was taken <laughs> away from her and our mayor, our new mayor, refused to go forward with the case. That is what unconstitutional means, Donald Trump. When a case gets brought before a judge and they rule it unconstitutional and then the case doesn't get appealed that decision is what it is. Well, this is the spin, 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 spin. And let's go back. Listen, if you didn't listen to episode 247, we went into eh, minor detail, giving some numbers and statistics about stop and frisk, talking about how, I mean, he's so high on this taking guns off the streets from illegal immigrant gangs. Stop and frisk in New York City, only... 0.2% of encounters with stop and frisk poli with police stops that were stop and frisk resulted 
in the confiscation of a weapon. 0.2%. Also, over the course of its run, ultimately 90% of people who were stopped and harassed and searched illegally were innocent. 55 to 60% were black and Hispanic males. 10, 9, and 10% were white. It does affect minority communities disproportionately because it's up to the, it's just random, you know, dealer's choice on who the, the cop decides to stop. That is why it is unconstitutional, Donald Trump. All right, let's move on. I've got a few more to get to. They kind of delve in. Well, they don't kind of. They do. They delve right in to the birther bullshit that Donald Trump perpetrated from about 2011 on up until this year. Up until January of 2016, Donald Trump was still saying he doubted the citizenship of President Barack Obama. Mr. Trump, for five years, you perpetuated a false claim that the nation's first black president was not a natural-born citizen. You questioned his legitimacy. In the last couple of weeks, you acknowledged what most Americans have accepted for years. The president was born in the United States. Can you tell us what took you so I'll, I'll tell you very, well, just very simple to say. Uh, Sidney Blumenthal works for the campaign and close, very close friend of Secretary Clinton. And uh, her campaign manager, Patty Doyle, went to, during the campaign, her campaign against President Obama, fought very hard, and you can go look it up, and you can check it out, and if you look at CNN this past week, Patty Solis Doyle was on Wolf Blitzer saying that this happened. Uh, Blumenthal sent McClatchy, highly respected reporter at McClatchy, to Kenya, to find out about it, they were pressing it very hard. She failed to get the birth certificate. When I got involved, I didn't fail. I got him to give the birth certificate. So I'm satisfied with it. And I'll tell you why I'm satisfied with it. That was because I want to get on to defeating ISIS. Because I want to get on to creating jobs. Because I want to get on to having a strong border. Because I want to get on to things that are very important to me and that are very important to the country. I, I'll let you respond. It's important. But I just want to get the answer here. The birth certificate was produced in 2011. You continued to tell the story and question the president's legitimacy in 2012, 13, 14, 15, yeah. as recently as January. So the question is, what changed your well, mind? Well, nobody was pressing it. Nobody was caring much about it. I figured you'd ask the question tonight, of course, but nobody was caring much about it. Uh, but I was the one that got him to produce uh, the birth certificate, and I think I did a good job. Uh, Secretary Clinton also fought it. I mean, you know, now everybody in mainstream is going to say, oh, that's not true. Look, it's true. Sidney Blumenthal sent a reporter. Uh, you just have to take a look at CNN the last week, the interview with your former campaign manager. And she was involved, but just like she can't bring back jobs. Listen, he's talking about Patty Solis Doyle, who tweeted this evening at 7.05 p.m. Pacific time. This is from Patty Solis Doyle. She said, once again, for the record, Hillary Clinton nor her campaign started the birther controversy or trafficked in it, period. Hashtag fact check 2016. 
So Donald Trump, once again, is being a fucking liar, a disingenuous turd. He's just wrong. Yeah. Well, continuously. She can't produce. I'm sorry. I'm just going to follow up. I will let you respond to that because there's a lot there. But we're talking about racial healing in this segment. What do you say to Americans? Well, it was very, I say nothing. I say nothing because I was able to get him to produce it. He should have produced it a long time before. I say nothing. But let me just. Did you hear that? There's Lester Holt offering Donald Trump an opportunity to say something. Listen, in this segment, we're talking about racial healing. What do you have to say about racial healing and maybe the animus that certain members of the minority community in this country feel that you charge the very first black president in the history of the United States as not being a citizen here? What do you have to say in the spirit of racial healing? What's Donald Trump say? Nothing. I have nothing to say. Nothing. I have nothing to say well because again at this point he's only concerned about self-preservation right and he's trying to save his own ass it's about it's about donald trump so he can't focus on two things at once it's no i need to defend myself i need to talk about myself i can't worry about anything else well it's also he doesn't really have any concern for the betterment of the country there's larger forces at stake larger things of greater importance than donald trump but he doesn't see it that way. Just tell you, when you talk about healing, I think that I've developed very, very good relationships over the last little while with the African-American community. I think you can see that. <laughs> and I feel that they really wanted me to come to that conclusion. Yeah. And I think I did a great job and a great service, not only for the country, but even for the president in getting him to produce his birth Secretary Clinton. I think I did a really great service. I did a great I'm thing. I'm very proud Brittany of Page. myself. Donald Trump. I did I think I really did a good thing and everybody really appreciates what I did. This is a relatively common theme throughout the night where I mean this isn't the last time that Donald Trump gives himself a pat on the back. Oh, he he desperately needs that. Yeah. Well, just listen to what you heard. And clearly, as Donald just admitted, he knew he was going to stand on this debate stage and Lester Holt was going to be asking us questions. So he tried to put the whole racist birther lie to bed. But it can't be dismissed that easily. He has really started his political activity based on this racist lie that our first black president was not an American citizen. There was absolutely no evidence for it, but he persisted. He persisted year after year because some of his supporters, people that he was trying to bring into his fold, apparently believed it or wanted to believe it. But remember, Donald started his career back in 1973 being sued by the Justice Department for racial discrimination because he would not rent apartments in one of his developments to African-Americans, and he made sure that the people who worked for him understood that was the policy. He actually was sued twice by the Justice Department. So he has a long record of engaging in racist behavior. 
And the birther lie was a very hurtful one. You know, Barack Obama is a man of great dignity. And I could tell how much it bothered him and annoyed him that this was being touted and used against him. But I like to remember what Michelle Obama said in her amazing speech at our Democratic National Convention. When they go low, we go high. And Barack Obama went high, despite Donald Trump's best efforts to bring him down. Mr. Trump, you can respond, then we're going to move on I to the next I would love segment. to respond. First of all, I got to watch in preparing for this some of your debates against Barack Obama. You treated him with terrible disrespect. And I watch the way you talk now about how lovely everything is and how wonderful you are. It doesn't work that way. You were after him. You were trying to. You even sent out or your campaign sent out pictures of him in a certain garb. Very famous pictures. I don't think you can deny that. But just last week, your campaign manager said it was true. So when you try to act holier than thou, it really doesn't work. It really doesn't. Now, as far as the lawsuit, yes, when I was very young, I went into my father's company at a real estate company in Brooklyn and Queens. And we, along with many, many other companies throughout the country, it was a federal lawsuit, were sued. We settled the suit with... Did, did I just hear that right? Was his excuse for being racist and not renting to African-Americans specifically, putting the little C on their rental applications, which stood for colored and not renting to them. Was his excuse just now, oh yeah, yeah, we got sued, but you know, there was a lot of other racist companies that, 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 that the federal government filed suit against. Is that his excuse that everybody else was racist too? So I'm I'm indemnified. Well, anything it takes to explain it away, right? <laughs> Damn. Zero with no admission of guilt. It was very easy to do, but they sued many people. I notice you bring that up a lot. And, uh, you know, I also notice the very nasty commercials that you do on me in so many different ways, which I don't do on you. Maybe I'm trying to save the money. But frankly, I look I look at that and I say, isn't that amazing? Because I settled that lawsuit with no admission of guilt. But that was a lawsuit brought against many real estate firms, and it's just one of those things. I'll go on one step further. In Palm Beach, Florida, tough community, a brilliant community, a wealthy community, probably the wealthiest community there is in the world. I opened a club. Sniffling. And really got great credit for it. No discrimination against African-Americans, against Muslims, against anybody. <laughs> And it's a tremendously successful club, and I'm so glad I did it. And I have been given great credit for what I did, and I'm very, very proud of it. And that's the way I feel. That is the true way I feel. You got great credit for not discriminating against people? Yeah, he wants credit for not being a racist, discriminatory prick. Hey, listen, guys. I started a club at Mar-a-Lago, and I let the Jews in. I let the Muslims in. I let women in. I, I need to be lauded and, and just have praises just piled and heaped upon me because I wasn't a racist dick in this one instance. Guys, I did the right thing today several <laughs> times. I didn't do anything bad today. Well, Can I, I get some praise no, for that? No, not even that. I didn't do anything horrible today. Right. You did what you should do 
not be racist. You just and you want some kind of fucking cookie for that. You existed in a way that you should exist, and you want people <laughs> to praise that. Well, next up, they kind of talk about Donald Trump and how he supported the war. It was mentioned as an aside, and Donald Trump would not let it go, even though his claim that he opposed the war has been just fact-checked to death and proved to be a fucking lie. He is a liar about this particular claim. And then he brings Sean Hannity into this over and over about, oh, well, you just got to call Sean Hannity. Sean, yeah, Sean Hannity will clear this up. No one wants Sean Hannity to clear anything up. No. We don't need him to clear anything up. His head's way too big to clear anything up. They would just We would have more questions about what kind of fucking parade float you've got on your shoulders. <laughs> Mr. Trump, you, with a lot of these are judgment questions. You had supported the war in Iraq before the invasion. What makes your judgment? I did not what, support what, the war in, in Iraq. 2002. That is a mainstream media nonsense put out by her because she, frankly, I think the best person in her campaign is mainstream media. My question Just, is, since you, you, would you like to hear? Him, why is your I was why against your the war. Wait a minute. I was against the war in Iraq, just so you put it out. The record shows I, otherwise. The record but why does is, not show that. Why was you, is your judgment The record any... shows that I'm right. When I did an interview with Howard Stern, very lightly, first time anyone's asked me that, I said, very lightly, I don't know, maybe, who knows, essentially. I then did an interview with Neil Cavuto. We talked about the economy is more important. I then spoke to Sean Hannity, which everybody refuses to call Sean Hannity. I had numerous conversations with Sean Hannity at Fox. And Sean Hannity said, and he called me the other day, and I spoke to him about it. He said, you were totally against the war because he was for the war. Why is and your we, judgment me, better than And that was before the war started. Sean Hannity said very strongly to me and other people, he's willing to say, but nobody wants to call him. I was against the war. He said, you used to have fights with me because Sean was in favor of the war. And I understand that side also. Not very much because we should have never been there. But nobody called <laughs> Sean Hannity. And then they did an article in a major magazine shortly after the war started, I think in 04. But they did an article which had me totally against the war in Iraq. And one of your compatriots said, you know, whether it was before or right after, Trump was definitely, because if you read this article, there's no doubt. But if somebody, and I'll ask the press, if somebody would call up Sean Hannity, this was before <laughs> the war started, he and I used to have arguments about the war. I said it's a terrible and a stupid thing. It's going to destabilize the Middle East, and that's exactly what it's done. It's my, been my, a disaster. My reference was to what you had said in 2002, and my question was, no, no, why, you is didn't your hear what I said. why is your judgment any different than... Mrs. Clinton well, I have much better judgment than she does. There's no question about that. I also have a much better temperament than she has. You know, I have a much better. She spent, let me tell you, she spent hundreds of millions of dollars on an advertising. You know, they get Madison Avenue into a room. They put names. Oh, temperament. Let's go after. I think my strongest asset, maybe by far, is my temperament. I have a winning temperament. I know how to win. She does not have Secretary how to win. Clinton. Wait. The AFL-CIO the other day, behind the blue screen, I don't know who you were talking to, Secretary Clinton, but you were totally out of control. I said, there's a person with a temperament that's got a problem. Secretary Clinton. Woo, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, that is great. See, she's taken it in stride. Well, and this this is what was strong about Hillary Clinton's performance, which is she was able to hold back. How frustrating would it be to be on a stage with this guy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to talk back. You want to interrupt him. You want to make him look stupid, but you have to just sit there and be and have self-control and let him hang himself. That is it. You have to show that you have the discipline to be the president of the United States because people are going to be popping off and saying stupid shit, whether it be Kim Jong-un or Vladimir Putin, and you have to show that you have the the maturity to to and the discipline to not sound off, to not reply in kind. You need to be the bigger person. What well, continued, and they went into some foreign policy stuff and about nuclear weapons and how Trump, then he, oh, I agree, I agree with Secretary Clinton about nukes because he knows he caught some shit over the course of the last couple months about his wanting Saudi Arabia to have nuclear weapons and he wanted South Korea and Japan, all of them to have nukes. Just insane. And that gets touched on here, which is directly following what we just heard when she's like, whoo-wee, or whatever the hell it was. Let's, um, let, let's uh, talk about two important issues that were briefly mentioned by Donald. First, NATO. You know, NATO as a military alliance has something called Article 5, and basically it says this, an attack on one is an attack on all. And do you know the only time it's ever been invoked after 9-11 when the 28 nations of NATO said that they would go to Afghanistan with us to fight terrorism, something that they still are doing by our side. With respect to Iran, when I became Secretary of State, Iran was weeks away from having enough nuclear material to form a bomb. They had mastered the nuclear fuel cycle under the Bush administration. They had built covert facilities. They had stocked them with centrifuges that were whirling away. And we had sanctioned them. I voted for every sanction against Iran when I was in the Senate, but it wasn't enough. So I spent a year and a half putting together a coalition that included Russia and China to impose the toughest sanctions on Iran. And we did drive them to the negotiating table. And my successor, John Kerry, and President Obama got a deal that put a lid on Iran's nuclear program without firing a single shot. That's diplomacy. That's coalition building. That's working with other nations. The other day, I saw Donald saying that there were some Iranian sailors on a ship in the waters off of Iran, and they were taunting American sailors who were on a nearby ship. He said, you know, if they taunted our sailors, I'd blow them out of the water and start another war. That's that would not, not good judgment. That is not the right temperament to be commander in chief, to be taunted. And the worst part no, of what we heard us. Donald say has been about nuclear weapons. He has said repeatedly that he didn't care if other nations got nuclear weapons, Japan, South Korea, even Saudi Arabia. It has been the policy of the United States, Democrats and Republicans, to do everything we could to reduce the proliferation of nuclear weapons. He even said, well, you know, if there were a nuclear war in the 
East Asia, well, you know, that's fine. You know, have a good time, folks. And in fact, his cavalier attitude about nuclear weapons is so deeply troubling. That is the number one threat we face in the world. And it becomes particularly threatening if terrorists ever get their hands on any nuclear material. So a man who can be provoked by a tweet should not have his fingers anywhere near the nuclear codes as far as I think anyone with any sense about this should be concerned. That line's getting a little bit old, I must say. Listen, it's a good one, though. I I would like to. Well describes the problem. It's not an accurate one at all. It's not an accurate one. Yeah, because who's who who, whose take on this are you going to are you going to believe Donald Trump? Or former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who is very well-versed, agree or disagree, but very well-versed on the threats and the actual legitimate, literal situation that we face as a global community relative to these security threats. I mean, I think it's clear Hillary Clinton is the one we're going with here. Well, in, in, in due course, she follows this up really with what I think is one of two sterling moments in the debate. And this really is a very presidential moment for her where she reassures our allies across the globe that everything's going to be okay and our treaties are going to be lived up to. Let me, let me, let me start by saying words matter. Words matter when you run for president, and they really matter when you are president. And I want to reassure our allies in Japan and South Korea and elsewhere that we have mutual defense treaties and we will honor them. It is essential that America's word be good. And so I know that this campaign has caused some questioning and some worries on the part of many leaders across the globe. I've talked with a number of them, uh, but I want to, on behalf of myself, and I think on behalf of a majority of the American people, say that, you know, our word is good. It's also important that we look at the entire global situation. There's no doubt that we have other problems with Iran, but personally, I'd rather deal with the other problems having put that lid on their nuclear program than still to be facing that. And Donald never tells you what he would do. Would he have started a war? Would he have bombed Iran? If he's going to criticize a deal that has been very successful in giving us access to Iranian facilities that we never had before, then he should tell us what his alternative would be. But it's like his plan to defeat ISIS. He says it's a secret plan, but the only secret is that he has no plan. So we need to be more precise in how we talk about these issues. People around the world follow our presidential campaigns so closely, trying to get hints about what we will do. Can they rely on us? Are we going to lead the world with strength and in accordance with our values? That's what I intend to do. I intend to be a leader of our country that people can count on both here at home and around the world uh, to make decisions that will further peace and prosperity, but also stand up to bullies, whether they're abroad or at home. We cannot let those who would try to destabilize the world to interfere 
with American interests and security to be given any opportunities at all. That is a presidential answer. That is more presidential and professional and well thought out than anything Donald Trump has said over the course of the last year and three months since entering the race. Look, I'm not, clearly, I'm not a giant Hillary Clinton fan, but she has a good head on her shoulders, a a well-rounded understanding of the threats that we face and how to diplomatically deal with them. Well, and this was the clear difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Absolutely. Donald Trump just scares people with how terrible things are, how we have become a third world country. He goes off on tangents about himself. Those are pretty much the only things that he has. Talking about the past, scare tactics, and talking about himself and his businesses and his own success. And how he's the only one to save us. But no details about how he's going to actually do it. Just believe me. Right. Believe me. Right. And you'd think he would have been more prepared for this because the contrast is stark between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Well, this next clip, I'm glad Lester Holt brought up. And it was about Donald Trump saying that Hillary Clinton didn't have the look to be president. And it's interesting here watching Donald Trump pivot from the actual thing that he said, which was that she doesn't have the look to be president, he pivots from the look comment to stamina. When, unless you're a Kool-Aid-drinking Donald Trump supporter, it didn't work at all. It was clear that he just changed the narrative willy-nilly. Mr. Trump, this year, Secretary Clinton became the first woman nominated for president by a major party. Earlier this month, you said she doesn't have, quote, a presidential look. She's standing here right now. What did you mean by that? Uh, She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. I said she doesn't have the stamina. And I don't believe she does have the stamina to be president of this country. You need tremendous stamina. The quote was, I just don't think she has a Wait a minute, unless you ask me a question. Did you ask me a question? You have to be able to negotiate our trade deals. You have to be able to negotiate, that's right, with Japan, with Saudi Arabia. I mean, can you imagine we're defending Saudi Arabia and with all of the money they have, we're defending them and they're not paying. All you have to do is speak to them. Wait, you have so many different things you have to be able to do. And I don't believe that Hillary has the stamina. Let's let her respond. Well... As soon as he travels to 112 countries and negotiates a peace deal, a ceasefire, a release of dissidents, an opening of new uh, opportunities in nations around the world, or even spends 11 hours testifying in front of uh, a congressional committee, he can talk to me about stamina. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) She turned that around and shoved it right up his ass. Yeah, and what can he say to that? Nothing. I mean, there's nothing that he can say to that. Absolutely not. He is someone who got a $1 million loan from his father and tries to act like... Adjusted for inflation, $6 million. And tries to act like he he has made something from nothing. Right. Or uh, like Eric Trump said this week... That he came from nothing. Right. Right. God damn. 
unbelievably just detached from reality. Right. And here she is like, well, you know, this is my experience. You're saying I don't look presidential. Well, here's my experience. Now, what's yours? Who doesn't look presidential here, you orange face freak? Well, she didn't say that, but... Well, he he tries to respond to this and talking about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, she's got experience, but it's bad experience. And again, Hillary Clinton in grand, just majestic fucking fashion, turns it around and just jams it right into his hole. Hillary has experience, but it's bad experience. We have made so many bad deals during the last... So she's got experience, that I agree, but it's bad, bad experience. Bad experience. Whether it's the Iran deal that you're so in love with, where we gave them $150 billion back, whether it's the Iran deal, whether it's uh, anything you can... Name, you almost can't name a good deal. I agree. She's got experience, but it's bad experience. And this country can't afford to have another four years of that kind of experience. We are at the... We're well, at the final what, question. One thing, one thing, Very Lester, is, you know, he, he tried to switch from from looks to stamina. But this is a man who has called women pigs, slobs and dogs. And someone who has said pregnancy is an inconvenience to employers, who has said, said women don't deserve equal pay unless they do as good a job as Didn't men. And one of the worst things he said was about a woman in a beauty contest. He loves beauty contests, supporting them and hanging around them. And he called this woman Miss Piggy. Then he called her Miss Housekeeping because she was Latina. Donald, she has a name. Where did you find her? Her name is Alicia Machado. Where did you find her? And she has become a U.S. citizen, and you can bet she's going to vote this November. Okay, good. Let me just tell you... Mr. Trump, just take you. 10 seconds and then we're going to have a fire. He is not happy about this. Where did you hear that? Where? How did you find that out? How, that's it, what I'm hearing, is how did you find that out? Right. Well, he, he takes it about as dark as he can. Hillary is hitting me with tremendous commercials. Uh, some of it said in entertainment. Some of it said... Somebody who's been very vicious to me, Rosie O'Donnell, I said very tough things to her. And I think everybody would agree that she deserves it and nobody feels sorry for her. Wait, everybody agrees and no one feels sorry for her. I don't know that I really feel sorry for her because she's, you know, a fucking millionaire. She's doing okay. She's a tough lady. But uh, not everybody agrees, asshole, (laughs) that she deserved what you said about her. Do you want to know the truth? I was going to say something extremely rough. Oh, my God. To Hillary, to her family. And I said to myself, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's inappropriate. It's not nice. But she spent hundreds of millions of dollars on negative ads on me, many of which are absolutely untrue. They're untrue and they're misrepresentations. And I will tell you this. Let's set the record straight here in the last 21.19 seconds of this clip. And that is Hillary Clinton's ads are almost exclusively clips of Donald Trump talking. Right. There's no one commenting on on anything he says. It's just his words. They're not misrepresenting what you say, asswipe. 
It's little girls looking into the mirror, feeling self-conscious about their bodies, and hearing a man running for president calling women fat pigs. And that he'd love to take some money out of their fat-ass pockets. Well, I'd also like to note that he's congratulating himself for being a decent human being. Right. And not talking about very old um, affair-type issues within the Clinton household. No, no, no. The Clinton family, which includes Chelsea. So he's he's talking about maligning the family. It's dark. But I get what you're saying. This is decades old. Bill Clinton's a feeble-ass old man now. You know what I mean? Right. You're right about dragging up the past. Right. Well, I just get annoyed by the, yeah, I'm going to talk about the affairs that Bill Clinton had. Okay. What? Do, how does that reflect negatively upon Hillary Clinton? Right. And I understand that people say that she wasn't nice to the women who had allegations. Okay, that's that's a fair statement. But that isn't what comes up. It's, oh, Bill Clinton, he was, you know, banging right. all these women. Okay, well, that says nothing about Hillary Clinton. Again, that says something about Bill Clinton. Well, absolutely, but it's also, it's rich coming from Donald Trump. Right. Who cheated on every single one of his wives. We don't know about this wife. But all the others, it's documented that he cheated on his wives. Let's continue for 21.19 seconds. Buster, it's not nice, and I don't, I, I don't deserve that, but it's certainly <laughs> not a nice thing that she's done. It's hundreds of millions of ads, and the only gratifying thing is I saw the polls come in today, and with all of that money, we over $200 million dollars is spent, and I'm either winning or tied, One and I've you, spent practically nothing. One- so again, about the polls, which no one cares about. This is the presidential debate. It's right. the first debate. We want to hear about the issues. We want to hear about your positions. We want to compare your positions to Hillary Clinton's. I mean, wh- what is going on? You already made it. You have the nomination. Why are you talking about right. the polls? Well, it's like- also, how are you going to make America great again, you fucking mook? How are you going to do that? What exactly is your plan? What do you have in store for the Congress? What does the first hundred days of a Trump administration look like? We still don't know. We're fewer than 60 days away from the election, and we don't know what the first hundred days of a Trump administration will be. Ugh. So the next debate is the vice presidential debate that's going to be on Tuesday, October 4th. And then the second presidential debate is going to be Sunday, October 9th. And that is going to be Martha Raddatz and Anderson Cooper in a town hall style uh, debate. And then the final debate is Wednesday, October 19th. And that will be moderated by Chris Wallace. Nice. We will be covering all of those debates, vice presidential debates and the presidential debates. If you'd like to support us in this endeavor, in this effort, we would encourage you to check out Patreon or PayPal or go do some shopping on Amazon. To do that, you can go to dollamore.com slash Amazon, dollamore.com slash PayPal, or of course, dollamore.com slash Patreon. And each one of those links will forward you on to the appropriate website. 
Uh, listen, we we love and appreciate you guys and all of the monetary support, but not just the monetary support. We feel a great connection to our audience. We really do think that together, you and us are are making a difference. We're moving that proverbial conversation forward, and it is important. So thanks for joining us for this special bonus episode. If you know a Patreon supporter or a PayPal supporter, go ahead and thank them because they made it happen. All righty. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Grunting one out right into his stupid face. 